Today, the Matt Walsh Show, a new FBI reports that hate crimes are continuing to skyrocket across the country and have now reached an all-time high. But one brief look below the surface on this story reveals that the real epidemic is not hate crimes, but hate crime hoaxes. Also, the Biden administration continues its crusade against pro-life activists. Government workers go on a hilarious one-day hunger strike. And a viral video declares that Gen Z and millennials are being forced to work more than any other generation of humans in history. We will analyze that claim and much more today on the Matt Walsh Show. For the fifth consecutive year, abortion remains the world's leading cause of unborn mortality, even despite the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Tragically, it's been reported that the number of infant deaths caused by abortion is greater than the number of deaths attributed to the next seven causes of death combined. Preborn is leading the charge to turn this around. Every day, Preborn's network clinics rescue 200 unborn babies. By introducing a mother to her child via ultrasound, a baby's chance of survival could double. I was just kind of like, Lord, if this is, you know, if this is the way you know, let me know if this is not the way, give me a sign, you know, before I walk through these doors. And I was, as I was getting ready to walk up the steps and touch the doorknob, you know, a guardian angel. And he just told me, he was like, baby, you don't have to go in there. And he was like, I know someone that can help him. Just to see the development of a baby that small, and I say baby because, I mean, he had little arms and legs and, <laughs> I mean, you know, it was actually a, a human. You know, and to see that and to have that physical and that contact once you look at that, I think it just pulls on your heart a little. Preborn's work has only begun by the time I finish this life-saving message. Two unborn babies will be aborted in this country. Will you join Preborn and The Matt Wall Show and make 2024 the biggest baby-saving year in history? One ultrasound is just 28 bucks, and $140 will offer five babies a chance at life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, baby, or donate securely at preborn.com slash Walsh. That's preborn.com slash Walsh. Well, hopefully you took the time to celebrate as Monday marked the five-year anniversary of the Jussie Smollett hate crime hoax. And I say that with some hesitation because I know that there's really not a single living person who ever wants to hear the name Jussie Smollett ever again. Every detail of that story has been covered. Every joke that can be made about it has been made. But if there's a silver lining in that whole episode, it's that Everybody on the planet received a crash course in how easy it is to lie about quote-unquote hate crimes. You can come up with the most ridiculous story imaginable, and people will buy it. Uh, the media especially will buy it, and they will repeat it. That was the moment that hate crime hoaxes peaked, you would think. So if you're a rational person, you might assume that post-Smollett, the number of reported hate crimes would go down at least a little bit. After all, the gig is up. You know, no one's ever going to be as naive as they were back in 2019 ever again. But that assumption, as logical as it might seem, would be very wrong. In just the past year, there's been a rash of cases, just like Smollett's, complete with outlandish claims that don't make any sense, which the media buys without any hesitation whatsoever. And there's so many examples that, you know, it's hard to choose, but, but here's, here's one of the best ones. Last summer, there was the curious case of Scott Rowan, who uh, told reporters in Southern California that he was set on fire on the sidewalk because he's gay, which raises a whole lot of questions that the media never asked. Here's how the gumshoes at the local ABC affiliate covered that story. Watch. 
A routine walk turned into a nightmare for a Southern California man. 39-year-old Scott Rowan went to a restaurant in his San Diego neighborhood to inquire about a job. He says he heard two people yelling homophobic slurs at him, so he yelled back. Rowan, who is gay, says the next thing he knew, he was being doused with some sort of liquid and then set on fire. Immediately after that, yeah, I just, I went up kind of like coals on a barbecue. Suddenly just went into flames. They were obviously out targeting the LGBT community. Rowan suffered second degree burns, mostly along his side and back. Not clear if he'll need surgery. He says this is definitely a hate crime and he filed a police report. Now you'll notice that there's no effort whatsoever to verify this guy's story. To recap, we're told there was a gay guy who was out for a routine walk in San Diego, whatever that means, on his way to a restaurant uh, when he heard two people yell homophobic slurs at him because obviously anyone could tell this guy was gay from a mile away. He's just walking down the street. And uh, of course, there, there are a bunch of anti-LGBTQ assassins roaming the streets of Southern California on the hunt for anyone who looks gay so, uh, you know, so they can set them on fire, which like, would seem to mean that they've been setting a lot of people on fire in Southern California. But naturally, in response, this gay guy uh, yelled back at his assailants, and then to his horror, he noticed that he had been doused with some kind of liquid and, uh, and, and set on fire. Literally, the only innovation over the Jesse Smollett hoax in that whole story is the bit at the end about getting set on fire. And everything else from the stuff about the restaurant to the number of assailants to the slurs is pretty much identical. In fact, this claim is perhaps more similar to the story of a biracial woman named Althea Bernstein in Madison, Wisconsin. And maybe you remember her. She claimed... Uh, that she was doused with lighter fluid and set on fire by a gang of white racists who accosted her while she was waiting at an intersection. Authorities opened a hate crime investigation into that alleged attack and then quietly dropped it a few weeks later, saying only that they couldn't prove that the event had ever occurred at all. Which is odd, considering that it supposedly happened at an intersection in the middle of a city with dozens of cameras all around. But to give Scott Rowan some credit, you know, we do know that he was indeed actually set on fire. There's no denying that. He's got the burns. Um, so, so there's an ounce of believability, at least to one aspect of this story. He was set on fire somehow. And, uh, you know, if you don't look into any of the other details uh, or, or inspect it in any way whatsoever, then maybe that's enough for you. And, of course, the news media, uh, the news of this alleged hate crime uh, went viral in, in left-wing circles. Antifa went wild with it, etc., Unfortunately for the narrative, though, the, the truth eventually did come out, uh, precisely three days later. Now, I want you to watch as the same crack news team that brought you the original story pulls what may be the single biggest about face in the history of journalism. Watch. Police say a man who says he was attacked and burned in an alleged hate crime is suspected of assaulting a pregnant woman. Earlier this week, Scott Rowan, who is gay, told us he was set on fire in a targeted attack in San Diego. Investigators paint a different picture. They say they got a 911 call that night of a man attacking a pregnant woman. She was bleeding and had several injuries requiring her to go to the hospital. An hour later, officers got a report of a man saying he'd been set on fire. Officers determined the man with the burn injuries was the suspect in the attack on the pregnant woman. Then they say she retaliated using a fire, using fire as a weapon against him. So far, no one has been arrested. Okay, well, that's uh, a little different. So instead of two homophobic bigots trolling the streets of San Diego looking to torch some random gay guy, now we learned that the gay guy was actually beating a pregnant woman to the point that she was bleeding and had to go to the hospital. And while she was being attacked, she somehow set the gay guy on fire in self-defense. 
Now, you note how the news station is not ashamed about any of this. They don't apologize to their viewers for airing a completely false story with no vetting whatsoever. That's because they don't care. Their job and the job of corporate media in general is to stoke as much division as possible. If they get caught in a lie, then they'll just shrug and move on to the next one. And yes, they did participate in the lie, even if they didn't yeah, they, they may not have known that this really stemmed from an attack on a pregnant woman. But these are, I mean, these may be relatively mid-IQ people, but they're not uh, mentally brain-damaged absolute morons. So they would, ha- they would have known that there are plenty of aspects of the story that are dubious at best. What do you do if you're in the news media and you hear a story like this? So some, some guy comes to you and says that he was set on fire in, in, in San Diego by, by some, uh, some, some anti-gay bigots who just happen to be like roaming the streets and looking for people. So what do you do if you can't, you, what, you, don't, you don't report it at all until you can confirm the details of the story. That's what you do if you actually care about accuracy in reporting. But uh, of course they don't. Now, fortunately for the news media, there have been plenty of other fake hate crimes for them to talk about. So they can always just move on to the next one. There was the case of the 20-year-old Ohio man who claimed in November to be the victim of an anti-Palestinian hate crime. And here's how the Council on American-Islamic Relations, or CARE, described that episode. They said the man, quote, uh, was walking home from eating lunch when a car slowed down and rolled down the window. The driver of the car allegedly started yelling at him using anti-Palestinian statements like kill all Palestinians and long live Israel as he swerved his car to intimidate the victim. The driver then allegedly turned around and hit the man while shouting, die. You know, coming home from uh, restaurants and, and, and stuff like that has proven it's a very dangerous thing if you're, if you're on the left. I mean, these people are getting assaulted all the time on their way home from restaurants. Now, for good measure, CARE posted a picture of this guy in a neck brace in the hospital just to underscore how Islamophobic this country has become. As you may have guessed, um, none of that was true. Police later obtained video evidence that the man's injuries resulted from a fight with his brother earlier in the day. Confronted with the fact that they were completely wrong about this supposed hate crime, CARE did not admit their mistake. They didn't offer any explanation for the decision to amplify a clearly fraudulent narrative. Instead, they said this, quote, Our understanding is that the brother has secured their own legal counsel. We do not yet know anything more about the nature of the charges. That was their statement. Not, we're horrified we misled the public about a brutal hate crime that didn't happen. Just, he's got a lawyer, so, you know, we're not talking about it anymore. Moving on. Again, there's never any remorse from these liars, probably because they can't even tell how ridiculous they look. They're so far gone that they don't see it. Remorse requires shame and self-awareness, and these people have neither of those. That could explain the recent stunt by California Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who, as I mentioned before, we played this video on the show a couple weeks ago, launched into a bizarre story on CNN recently about a supposed racist incident that occurred at the Capitol. And if you missed this, uh, let's watch that again. Racism, institutional racism, is in the DNA of this country. When you look at uh, what has taken place, look at our Native Americans, the genocide of Native Americans. When you look at what has taken place as it relates to African Americans, uh, 250 years plus of enslaving African Americans, and then you look at the disparities now uh, in our community in terms of health care, unemployment, the wealth gap, housing. You can't tell me that systemic racism does not exist. It's not just a little kink. Secondly, you have personal racism, which is hard to address, but I'll give you one little story that shows you why uh, we need to understand that I don't think she really understands racism. I was walking from the House building on Capitol Hill to the Capitol, and a man, a white guy, stopped me 
and told me I could not get into the member's elevator. And, you know, we have uh, pens, and I was going to vote. And he blocked me from getting into the elevator and told me I was not a member of Congress, and it was for members only. I said, sir, I'm a member of Congress. And he, I showed him my pen, and he said, whose pen did you steal? Now, this is an example of what personal racism is and how people of color constantly have to deal with this each and every day. Yes. Well, I mean, at least he didn't have lighter fluid on him, you know, so that's the one good thing. But once again, right away, you know, nothing makes sense about the story. And you can tell she's lying because she leaves out the kind of details you would need to verify the story. She doesn't tell you when this incident happened, uh, which would allow Capitol Police to pull up the surveillance tapes in about 10 seconds. And conveniently, she doesn't offer any description of the white guy. Like, who is he? Is he a police officer? Is he a random vigilante patrolling the elevators? of Capitol Hill to make sure no black congresswomen get inside? We have no idea. And she didn't mention it because this is all made up. Like all these other recent hate hoaxes, it just makes no sense. And by the way, she has also just moved on from that. She never came, she never circled back around to say, oh, well, here's some more information about that. You know, let's go find, no, just move on to the next thing. And I could go on and on and on, listing dozens of fake hate crimes that have been reported over the past year. But the data tells the story. We are indeed witnessing an epidemic of fake hate crimes uh, in the post-Smollett, post-BLM era. As many news organizations reported this week, the FBI has determined that from 2018 to 2022, hate crimes in the United States have increased by a staggering 60%. And if that sounds bad, rest assured, we're told that it gets even worse. The problem is especially acute among students, the Bureau tells us. In that same period from 2018 to 2022, according to the FBI, Reported hate crimes in schools and colleges have doubled, nearly doubled. Elementary and secondary schools are the hotspots, we're told. Supposedly, the most common hate crimes in schools are uh, anti-black hate crimes, followed by anti-Jewish, followed by anti-gay. Anti-white hate crimes don't make the top three. Despite the fact that white kids are the victims in nearly every video of an assault at a school by one race against another that we've seen in the last 10 years. There may be a couple of exceptions to that, and I'm just going to grant that there probably is a couple. I can't even think of any. Almost every single video you see is like this, for example. I want you to watch this footage of a recent beating at a school in Florida, which again comes to us from a local ABC affiliate. And notice what's not mentioned in this report. Here it is. Police closing in on suspects after a brutal beatdown near Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And viral video shows a teen pummeled in a parking lot before he's picked up and slammed to the ground. Local 10 crime specialist Bridget Matter live now in Coral Springs with that investigation. Bridget. And the students seen in this brutal video, they have been identified and police are working to make those arrests. The victim here has suffered a skull fracture and was hospitalized. Disturbing cell phone video shows the brutal beating of a student at North Community Park in Coral Springs. Eventually, some witnesses step in to help. Another angle of the beating shows the student slammed to the ground. All I could think was these people are animals. What prompted the fight is unknown. So, and that's not a fight, by the way. That's, you know, 10 people stomping the hell out of one person. That's not a fight. That's just a, that's an assault and that's attempted murder. So there was a brutal beating of a teenager in a parking lot at a school. The victim suffered a skull fracture. He had to be hospitalized. The motive, we're told, is unknown. Just no way to explain why this might have happened. What's not mentioned in the report, conspicuously enough, is that the teens who beat the student were black and the victim was white. 
And just in case you think that this was another innocent mistake by the local news crew, rest assured that the national media did precisely the same thing. Fox News reported on the incident as another example of, quote, juvenile violence that's rocking the nation. Juvenile violence. Nothing else can be said about this form of violence and, and who's committing it. and uh, It's just juvenile. That's it. But the cause of the brawl, we're told, is unknown. So it's clear that when black people beat up white people at school, then the identities of the attackers isn't something you're supposed to talk about. To talk about. The national news media doesn't think it could possibly be related to the motive, even though we all know what they'd be saying if the races were uh, flipped around the other way. And given all this, there's obviously a lot of reason to doubt the FBI's latest hate crime data. Nobody wants to talk about anti-white hate crimes, even when they're occurring on camera. So we should expect some underreporting in that area. But for just a moment, let's take this FBI reporting at face value, right? And, and assume that indeed there's been a dramatic rise in the number of hate crimes in schools. Let's just pretend, right? Let, let's live in that fantasy world for a second. Well, if that's the case, then it would seem to suggest that our schools are an even bigger disaster than we thought. Test scores and student productivity are going down. We already know that. And they tell us hate crimes are going up. Now, considering that schools have never focused more on preaching tolerance and diversity, this would mean that their efforts to bring about racial justice have been a catastrophic failure and are doing more harm than good. You'd think that, you know, that realization might prompt some self-reflection from the activists who've been lecturing us for years about the importance of DEI and racial reckoning and so on. Turns out none of it's working. Just like affirmative action, this grand social experiment hasn't solved any of the problems that it was supposed to solve. And that's according to the people who, who you know, came up with this plan. And in this case, that's certainly the implication of this FBI report, if we assume it's accurate. But the truth is that the FBI report is not accurate. Just like all the reports of hate crimes from 2016 weren't accurate, back when we were told that Donald Trump was emboldening white supremacists or whatever, the moment you dive into the specifics on hate crime stats, you realize what a fraud it is. The only way this stuff works is if you never look even an inch below the surface. And as soon as you do, you see that it's, there's just nothing there. It's empty. Now, all of this data is based on reported hate crimes. So the media will say hate crimes are on the rise. But what they often leave out, especially in the headline, is that, no, reports of hate crimes are on the rise. And that, that part is true. In other words, if somebody tells a teacher that they were called a mean name because of their skin color... That would count as a reported hate crime. doesn't matter if there's no conviction or even an arrest. All it takes is for somebody in a police department somewhere to code an incident as potentially related to hatred, whether they can prove that the incident even happened. That, that, but that's it. And by the way, the police are incentivized to do this by the Biden DOJ. The DOJ awards millions of dollars to local police departments that report hate crimes. So there's a massive gap between reported hate crimes and hate crimes that actually result in a conviction. And what's funny is that you never hear anyone talk about what exactly this difference is. I mean, none of the media reports this week even mention it. I went through uh, several media reports about the reported hate crimes and the numbers. Well, okay, well, how many convictions have there been? How many of these cases have actually been proven? Now, if you go on the FBI's website, you're not going to find that information either, at least not prominently. But I went looking for it on the website of the California Department of Justice, and I thought this would be a good state to check since it's one of the most left-wing states in the entire country, if not the most left-wing. So we can assume that they're going to vigorously prosecute as many alleged hate crimes as possible. Here are the most recent numbers we have. In 2022, the state of California reported a whopping 
2,589 hate crimes. Now, depending on your perspective, in a state of 40 million people, that might not seem like many, but let's pretend it's an alarmingly high figure, you know, just for the sake of argument. Well, guess how many of those reported hate crimes resulted in hate crime convictions, according to the California DOJ? Out of 2,589 supposed hate crimes in a state of 40 million, how many of them were actually proven in a court? Well, the, grand an- the, the answer is a grand total of 53. So that's roughly 2% of them. 98% of them in a state that, again, is incredibly incentivized in many different ways to prosecute as many of these as they possibly can. 98% of them never proven in a court of law. Many of them, there was never even any charges brought. And again, this is in the jurisdiction where the prosecutors are presumably the most aggressive on charges like this and where juries are extremely predisposed to convict. And you can reproduce numbers like this in any state in the country. There's a massive gulf between reports and charges of hate crimes and an even greater one between reports and convictions. Obviously, that's because most of these reports are nonsense. What we actually have is a massive epidemic of false hate crime reports that are eating up who knows how much law enforcement resources and law enforcement time. Now, it's tempting to dismiss all these reports as hoaxes, you know, and uh, it's easy to say that all these reports are, are from mentally imbalanced, cynical people looking for attention or sympathy or something like that. And undoubtedly, that's a big part of it, but that's not the whole explanation. I mean, a lot of these people claiming that they're victims genuinely believe they are. I mean, we've raised a generation to see hate crimes everywhere. Everybody from law enforcement to academia to the corporate press have participated in that indoctrination. So the truth is that this epidemic of false reports is as much a product of hoaxes as it is of brainwashing. And that's why we shouldn't be surprised that the numbers are going up. And it's also why we shouldn't be remotely shocked to learn that ground zero for these reports are schools and universities. Indoctrination is their job. Five years after Jesse Smollett, safe to say that they've gotten very good at it. Now let's get to our five headlines. Keeping your windshields clean is always a pain, especially in the winter. Dirt and salt pile up and washer fluid just can't get the job done. That's where my friends at Windshield Wow come in to save the day. Windshield Wow is an innovative windshield cleaning device that uses two magnetic cleaning paddles, one on the outside and one on the inside of your car, to clean both sides of your windshield, all from the outside. All you got to do is push around the outside paddle and the inside follows automatically, leaving your windshield squeaky clean. We get a lot of rain here in Nashville, which uh, leaves you with a hazy and dirty windshield. Throw one of these in the back of your car so you can always have a clean windshield. I personally own a windshield. Wow, this is one of the best products for my car windshield. Being able to clean both the front and the inside window at the same time is a game changer. I wish I had one of these years ago. The windshield wow applies firm cleaning pressure. It's super thin to get into those tight dashboard areas. What are you waiting for? Go to windshieldwow.com. Use code Walsh to check out for a special discount. That's windshieldwow.com and use code Walsh. Daily Wire reports uh, today on a story that uh, deserves a lot of attention and should be getting quite a bit more than it is getting. Uh, The jury is set to deliberate on the fate of six pro-lifers who face 11 years in prison after being accused by the Department of Justice for a conspiracy against rights over a peaceful protest at a Tennessee abortion facility in March 2021. On Monday, the fourth day of the trial, lawyers for the defendants and the Department of Justice delivered their closing arguments at the uh, Fred D. Thompson Federal Courthouse in Nashville, Tennessee. The pro-lifers Chet Gallagher, Coleman Boyd, Heather Idani, Cal Zastro, Paul Vaughn, and Dennis Green are charged by the government of violating the FACE Act and conspiring against rights, a charge that could lead to 11 years in prison. 
The charges stem from a protest that took place in a hallway outside of a Mount Juliet abortion provider on March 5th, 2021. On that day, a group of demonstrators uh, gathered on the second floor of an office building in the hallway outside of CareFM uh, Health, Health Center Clinic. The group prayed, sang hymns, and urged women showing up to the clinic to not get abortions. During closing arguments, the lawyers for the defendants noted the peaceful aspect of the event, which they referred to as a rescue, and said that the pro-lifers never conspired to oppress, threaten, or intimidate anyone at CareFM, as the government alleges. Jody Bell, Gallagher's lawyer, said the group was at CareFM to offer help, consistent with their religious beliefs to women, that their aim was uh, rescuing the unborn. Bell noted that the group was in the hallway leading to CareFM because it was located in an office building, and it was impossible to know what women were coming for abortions by just standing outside the building. Uh, a lawyer for Zastro said that the only agreement the group made was to save lives, there was no yelling or carrying of any weapons. Boyd's lawyer made a similar argument, saying that the group would have yelled and not sang church hymns and carried weapons, not Bibles, if they had malicious intent. And uh, during her final statements to the jury, Assistant U.S. Attorney Amanda Klopf likened the actions of the six pro-lifers to that of a group of people attempting to convince someone not to vote and blocking the entrance of a polling location. She said that something is not peaceful if laws are broken. Hmm. It's not peaceful if laws are broken. Interesting that we're hearing that now. The courtroom gallery and an overflow room were both p- p- packed with roughly 70 people. Um, and so they're awaiting the uh, verdict and, and, and sentencing if they're found guilty. So, okay, so the, these people were, were standing peacefully in a hallway. They never assaulted anybody. They never vandalized they never damaged any property, okay? They stood peacefully. And we hear a lot about peaceful protests, and we know the irony of very often when we hear peaceful protest, um, it's, uh, you know, the mostly peaceful protest with the fire raging in the background. That's not this. This is, like, actually peaceful. They were just standing there, and they're not accused of doing anything violent. No, one's, no one is suggesting otherwise. Except the, 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 uh, the district attorney... Uh, who's saying that, well, if you break a law, it's automatically violent. Which, again, is very interesting because you, you know, we don't hear that logic from DAs and prosecutors all the time. I mean, in fact, very often on the left, we're told there's all manner of, of not like nonviolent. She's, she has just suggested that the category of nonviolent crime doesn't exist. That's what the prosecutor said. That's her argument, that there's no such thing as a nonviolent crime, because if you're committing a crime, it's automatically violent. Which, which, it, uh, wow, okay. So there's a whole lot of people that are being let out of jail or are never being sent there in the first place on, on, on the logic that it's a nonviolent crime, that, that apparently now the federal government is saying all those people need to be in jail. But of course, I mean, we could pull up many examples of Joe Biden himself talking about nonviolent crime. And why, why, quote-unquote, nonviolent criminals shouldn't go to jail. And yet in this case, because they're pro-lifers, they're automatically violent because they're committing a crime. Um, And now the federal government wants to put them away for 11 years. 11 years in prison for that. I mean, think about the prosecutors in this case. Like, they have to know that the defendants are just, these are just normal people who would never harm anyone, have never harmed anyone, have never even threatened to harm anyone, never would. They pose no threat of any kind to anyone. These are productive members of society. 
and yet, you know, you as a prosecutor are trying to lock them away for, for 11 years, more than a decade in prison. It's like there's, there's no way that you actually think that's the right thing to do. How do, you, how do you sleep at night? How do you go home and sleep at night after spending a day arguing for throwing these totally normal people who pose no threat to anyone in jail for a decade? Now, needless to say, um, BLM rioters who torched police stations and assaulted cops and who looted and robbed and vandalized and hurt people and property never got 11 years in prison. Like, just by comparison, okay, one of the guys who burned the police station in Minneapolis got three years. And that was burning a police station to the ground three years in prison. Um, 11 for standing outside of an abortion clinic. It's, there's no justice in this country. There's no justice. It doesn't exist. Whatever existed, whatever, you know, whatever bit of justice still existed, has been buried by the Biden administration, nail in the coffin and buried. This is full-on extreme Soviet-style political persecution happening in broad daylight in front of everybody. We can all see it. They aren't hiding it. And, and who's getting the brunt of it? Well, pro-lifers are. It, it isn't talked about very much at all, even on the right. But there is a campaign of political persecution against pro-lifers happening right now. Um, they're having their homes raided. You know, the, the case of Mark Houck, I've talked about that many times. The Biden administration tried to throw him in prison for like pushing a guy, pushing a guy who was, who was harassing and accosting his 12-year-old son. Mark Houck just pushed him and the guy fell over. And Biden sends the feds to his house to drag him out of his home and tries to put him in federal prison for it. So that's happening. Um, they're, they're taking peaceful protesters, throwing them in prison. It's very similar to what, what Biden has been doing to January 6ers, but, but this is wor- worse because these people, the pro-lifers, are being targeted for protesting the murder of babies. They're being targeted for, in most cases, not even going inside a building, okay? So that, so, you know, went inside the Capitol. The, they didn't even go inside the clinic. They were outside of it. And they're looking at 11 years in prison. And the thing that really gets me about this, the thing that really um, enrages me about it, is that most people uh, on the right, I'm talking about, most people even on the right are ignoring the persecution of these pro-lifers. And, you know, we said this. We say the same thing about the January sixth defendants, but that's not really true at this point. I mean, you you can hear people talk about the January sixth defendants everywhere on the right, and of course in the media is a different thing. But uh, you can hear you listen to Fox News, and they'll talk about January sixth defendants. Um, this is a this is a widely discussed thing among conservatives about what's happening in January sixth defendants, as well it should be. I'm not complaining about that. But my point is that what's happening to these pro-lifers really is being ignored. Like it's being all but ignored by many people on the right. And listen, this thing people do, and, and, I, and I myself am the target of it very often, where people come after you and say, why aren't you talking about that? Like they have their pet issue or whatever, and they get angry at you for not talking. Because whatever you're focused on, you shouldn't be focused on that. You should be focused on this other thing. And then if you're in, you know, if you're a conservative person in media, 
you know, pretty soon you find yourself in a position where no matter what you're talking about at any given moment, you've got 25 other groups yelling at you saying you should be talking about this thing, no, this, that, this. And um, that gets really annoying. And it's a, it's a, it's a ridiculous game that, that, that we play. And so I don't want to play the same thing here. But the difference in this case for the conservative commentators who are ignoring these, the plight of these pro-lifers is that this is an actual, uh, this is not an oversight, I guess is what I'm saying, or, or, or the product of, you know, we're just talking about something else. You know, our focus is, is elsewhere. It's, it's not really that. This is a, this is a considered um, plan. This, this is a strategy. This is a political strategy by many on the right to ignore this kind of stuff entirely because they want to pivot away from abortion. They don't want to talk about it. As many conservatives that have just abandoned the field of battle completely on this issue. Uh, now, granted, many of them were never on the field of battle to begin with, uh, but, but you know, they, 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 uh, they have abandoned it even more. Like they were just on the sidelines before and now they're not even in the stadium. Okay. Um, so they've abandoned this, this fight to whatever extent they were engaged in it in the past. And these, uh, pro-lifers who are being targeted for political persecution by the Biden administration, they, they are, uh, they get thrown out as well because you can't really, you know, to focus on them and talk about them and what they're going through and to call attention to it and shed some light on it is to bring up the issue of abortion. And they, they go hand in hand. Now, you don't need to be pro-life or you shouldn't need to be pro-life to see that this is just wrong. That, that we shouldn't be sending people to jail for, for to federal prison for 11 years for praying outside of an office. Okay. So you shouldn't need to be pro-life to see that. But inevitably, when this topic comes up, it brings up the abortion topic. And there are a lot of conservative commentators and activists and so on who've just decided that they're ashamed of that issue. They're afraid of it. They're scared of it. They think it's unwinnable. They don't want to talk about it. And, uh, and they are, they, they, they've totally thrown up the white flag. And that's the thing that is um, deeply frustrating about this. And I, you know, I say that as someone who, I mean, I, I can't imagine if I had a family member who was one of the pro-lifers being targeted in this way. All right. Daily Mail has this. Dozens of U.S. government workers will stage a one-day hunger strike to protest the Biden administration's support for Israel amid the war with Hamas. Members of Feds United for Peace told The Guardian that employees from over two dozen government agencies, including the Departments of Defense and State, plan on a day of fasting on Thursday. The officials participating will show up at work either dressed in black or wearing uh, kefia scarves or other symbols of Palestinian solidarity. They said they're witnessing or they're protesting starvation as a weapon of war by intentionally withholding food from entering Gaza, uh, where more than 26,000 people, mostly civilians, have been killed since the war began, according to the health ministry in the Hamas-ruled territory. You know, I really find this inspiring. Um, I'm so inspired that I would love to see like 80% of the federal workforce participate in the hunger strike indefinitely. I mean, if one day is inspiring, and it is, imagine how inspiring a month would be. I'd love to see 80% of the federal workforce go on a hunger strike for a month. That 
I think that's going to be the most inspiring. That's the most likely to bring about world peace. And they should do it. And we'll see how many are left at that point. And we'll see if we have to start it up again. Um, you know, Vivek wanted to fire half of the federal workforce for, you know, but I, I think having them starve themselves to death is, is um, you know, is an alternative. I mean, I'm not, you know, if that's, if they're volunteering for it, I'm not saying I want that. And of course, I mean, just a day isn't going to do the trick though. That's the point. I mean, is there anything more indicative of modern society than a day long hunger strike? Is there anything that better represents our culture than a day long hunger strike? And you know they're not even going a full day. You know that's not happening. Like, it'll be 5.45 p.m. and they'll be scarfing down Whataburger or something. What? I said I'd go all day without eating. This is evening. Um, I've never really understood the hunger strike concept anyway. Because if you're trying to extract confessions out of me or out of whoever, like, how is making yourself hungry going to do that? I don't, I don't get it. If you don't do what I want... I'm going to make myself hungry. Okay. Then be hungry. <laughs> okay, I don't care. My kids try to do this. Well, this is something kids do, you know. And you'll find on the left, they, their, their protest methods are very often sort of like in, inspired by the behavior of two and three-year-olds. And uh, so my kids will do this sometimes. Like my four-year-old, just last night, actually, she was mad at me about something. We're eating dinner. And she crosses her arms and says, I'm not eating dinner. I'm not going to eat. And I said, okay, fine. More food for me. Like, we're having spaghetti and meat sauce, and, and we got garlic bread. This is delicious. And, you know, and like the rest of these kids, they never stop eating. So if that means I get to have more, and you want to, like, that's fine. That's your choice. Now, of course, the difference is that I don't want my kids to starve to death, uh, which is never really in the cards anyway, because their hunger strike will never last more than 45 minutes, and they'll be in the kitchen asking for a snack. That's the way it goes. But outside of my house, most of the time, you know, the sorts of people who go on hunger strikes are not exactly the sorts of people whose comfort and well-being are at the top of my or anyone else's list of priorities. Again, I don't want them to starve themselves to death. I'm just saying. It's not, it's not the top of the list. And, and also, by the way, another form of protest uh, that can be even more inspiring and that you've seen people use sometimes historically is a self-immolation. So you can actually set yourself on fire to protest something. Um, so, you know, maybe that's something that these government workers would want to consider. Um, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I want a bunch of bureaucrats to burn to death. I am not, I'm not encouraging them to do that. I'm not saying I want it. I would never say that out loud on camera. Let's get to Was Wall Strong. <laughs> Are you one of the millions of American men and women dealing with premature hair loss? Maybe you're scared about inheriting that thinning look because it runs in the family. Starting 2024 off right with a real solution that delivers on its promise without the harsh side effects, unwanted chemicals, and no need for a prescription. Provia uses a safe, natural ingredient called Procapil to effectively target the three main causes of premature hair thinning and loss by supporting healthy scalp circulation, the delivery of nourishing nutrients, and healthy hair follicles anchoring to your scalp. Uh, Provia guarantees more hair on your head than in the shower or on your comb. It's effective for men and women of any age and safe on color-treated and styled hair. It's that easy. Right now, new customers save over 50% plus free shipping on Provia's introductory package at proviahair.com Walsh. Every package includes a full 60-day supply of Provia serum, 
For Daily Use Plus, the Probia Super Concentrate for faster, more noticeable results. And every order includes your choice of a free gift right now at checkout. Provia works guaranteed or 100% of your money back. Don't wait. Order now and save an extra 10% and free shipping at proviahair.com slash Walsh. That's proviahair.com slash Walsh. Well, yesterday we did uh, 20 minutes on the moon landing um, where I was defending the fact that one of the most documented events in history actually happened because it did. Um, And I was debunking the moon landing hoax conspiracy theory. And uh, a lot of comments on that. A lot of comments. And uh, it, it, I mean, it's, I'll be honest, it's like 85% against uh, the moon landing being real. <laughs> it's, this is, oh man, we are in trouble. Uh, we are in trouble as a country. Um, it, it, it's, it's like, when it comes to the moon landing, the, the, we're at the point now, I think, where the mainstream view is that it never happened. In spite of the fact that every single one of the points that they raise is, easily debunked, as I already have done. And also, in spite of the fact that, as I pointed out in that lengthy model, I'm not going to repeat the whole thing. You can go watch it. But that these people that are suggesting that it was a hoax have zero evidence for their own theory of the case. Like, they are asserting an entirely different event that they claim happened, which is that the staging of this thing on a soundstage somewhere. um, No evidence of that. Not any at all. And yet, that's the one we're going to believe. The one that has zero bits of evidence. I'll read a couple of comments. Uh, Polly Smith says, Matt, I'm sorry, but you really haven't done nearly enough research. If we went to the moon, then why haven't we been once every 10 years since, at a minimum? The moon landing is only real if we go once every 10 years. I mean, that's not arbitrary at all. The good thing about that uh, Polly, is that that is not an entirely arbitrary, completely ad hoc thing that you've just come up with. Well, in order to be real, we have to go once every 10 years. What? Where did you come up with that? How do you explain all the natural contradictions in the footage? Explain all the information NASA supposedly destroyed, etc.? Cobra says, bro, if you put a man on the moon in the 60s when all the computers at NASA combined had the computing power of a smartphone... Why haven't we done it again? We haven't gone back because we never went in the first place. Uh, another one, putting your trust in the government about the authenticity of the moon landing is no different than trusting Fauci and Big Pharma on jab safety. Several of the astronauts who took part in the landing died suddenly or remained silent about it. Remain silent about what? Which of the astronauts are remaining silent that have never talked about going to the moon? They went to the moon. Which ones? What are you, what are you talking about? It's, the other thing is people just make things up like this. And so there's, I'll admit, I, I've addressed a lot of the moon landing stuff. Some of the stuff is hard to debunk because it's just completely invented. There's no, you just made it up. But yeah, those astronauts, they don't even want to talk about going on the moon. Okay. Um, Cobra says, not to mention, have you seen the photos of the lunar lander? Anyone could easily build an re- exact replica in their garage. It's not remotely impressive. Chris says, regardless of anyone's view on the moon landing, I do think it's incredibly arrogant and immature to call anyone who has a different opinion on it a denialist, as it's tantamount to nothing more than name-calling. In view of the examples you gave of those you've interacted with who question the moon landing, you clearly haven't done any real research on the subject because they are most certainly not the main arguments moon hoax, belie- moon hoax believers have, and your idea that thousands of people would have 
to be in on it is ludicrous as everything was compartmentalized so very few people would need to know the full story. It's very clear that you have to no real understanding of the moon conspiracy as a whole. You seem to be basing your opinion on a few weak random statements posted on your feed. So with greatest of respects, I would strongly recommend you do some solid research on the subject and debunk some of the way stronger arguments before calling anyone who has a different opinion a denier. And even after doing so, if you still come to the conclusion the moon landing was real, I would, I would avoid calling those who don't agree deniers as it really doesn't make you look good. Okay. First of all, I, I have heard many times now that, that uh, my, in my 20-minute video addressing moon landing deniers that I neglected their strongest arguments. Yet no one has told me what the stronger arguments are. So I keep hearing, like Chris said, this lengthy comment saying, you've neglected the strong arguments. What are they? You, you, you spent a lot of time telling me about the strong arguments. You didn't tell me what they were, though. And that's because uh, he knows that, of course, I did, in fact, make sure to specifically address most of the arguments. Now, there are no strong arguments, so I can't address the strong ones. They don't exist. But I addressed the arguments, and um, I didn't just dismiss them, out, dismiss them out of hand. What you have done and what you see in these comments is dismissing me out of hand. It's just They're just reasserting their, orig their original point and saying, well, you clearly haven't done research. You're still wrong. Okay. That is what dismissal looks like. But, but laying out what the argument is and then explaining why I disagree with it is what I did in my original monologue, which is not dismissive. That is actually engaging with your points, which I have not seen in, in any of these comments on the other side. Um, and, you know, I think uh, what you see most of these comments to my monologue, are, are, most of the responses are just kind of repeating the same assertions I already addressed in the monologue. And uh, th th this thing about how we've never gone back, and I addressed that at length. I gave a specific answer. I even gave examples of other kinds of technology that we abandoned from that same era to show that this is not unprecedented and it didn't happen in a vacuum, no pun intended. And yet the response is just to repeat the claim, making no attempt to rebut what I said. And, I, and I've got to say, I find it surprising how this point, this, well, why did we go back thing, I find it surprising how this is by far and away the most common objection that I have seen from the moon landing deniers. Um, and, and I've now heard from literally thousands of them. And this is the single, it's, this is the single most common point that people bring up to me is that, well, why haven't we gone back? And yet it's by far the weakest point it's the easiest to explain. And it's also not even true. We did go back five times. So um, it, it's kind of uh, confusing to me as to why people think, like why that's so compelling to people, but it appears to be. And I think what's going on here, or part of what's going on, is that many people find it unbelievable that we went to the moon. And no matter what the evidence is, no matter what any of the details are, just going in viscerally from the start, they can't believe it. So in a literal sense, it is unbelievable to them. They just can't believe it. They don't. That's how impressive the achievement was. And, and that's also how unimpressive and decadent our culture is today, that when we look back at those achievements, we can't even accept that they happened. Because we look around at the world today, we say, like, no one's doing that kind of stuff now, so it must not have happened then. It, it is a, it's a sad commentary on our culture. Um, but, and, and you're not wrong for pointing that out, by the way, like that is an interesting fact that we were doing all these crazy cool things and now we're not doing any of that. It's, yeah, that's, that is true. 
But that's not evidence that it didn't happen. And I, I think it becomes this kind of argument from incredulity where people say, I can't personally wrap my head around it. I don't know how this was achieved. I don't understand the mechanics of it. Therefore, it didn't happen. But the problem is that your own inability to understand the way something happened or how it happened is not a hole in the story, okay? A hole in your understanding of the story is not a hole in the story itself. And I think that's an important point. So, you know, I see a lot of this sort of thing where people say, oh, you're telling me that they made it into space at 250,000 miles to the, the, to the moon in that old tin bucket? Yeah, I mean, that's what happened. It wasn't really a tin bucket, but, but yeah, basically, that's what happened. I know it's mind-boggling. Human beings have done a lot of mind-boggling things in the name of exploration. I mean, can you personally understand how they build submarines that allow people to go to the deepest depths of the deepest parts of the ocean without getting crushed to death or, 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 or suffocating? You know, um, I mean, if you were given all the parts to build a submarine like that, would you be able to do it in a thousand years? No, you wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to do it. But people have. Like, you could look at a submarine and say, you're telling me that thing, that thing went all the way. That went all the way to the bottom of the ocean, the Marianas Trench, really? Come on. Like, it did, yes. I mean, that is what happened. Uh, in fact, in fact, get this. They built the first submarine that went down to the bottom of the Marianas Trench in the 1950s. It successfully completed the first dive down to the deepest part of the ocean in a manned mission in 1960. 1960, they were going down in what looked to be these horrifying suicide machines all the way to the bottom of the ocean and surviving and coming back up. So are you noticing a pattern? I mean, in the 1960s, they went to the bottom of the ocean. They went up to the moon. They, they, they were flying, uh, as I said yesterday, supersonic passenger jets that could make it from New York to London in three hours in the 1960s. And we don't really do any of those things anymore. Does that mean they were all made up? Does that mean that none of them ever happened? Uh, no. No, what you're seeing is what happens when very intelligent human beings have the spirit of discovery within them. And we don't have it anymore. But, but, but we did have it in the past. And that is how incredible things are achieved. And, um, I mean, do you understand that in the 19th century, in the 1800s, they were able to send exploratory missions to the North Pole, to the most desolate regions of the world, where, where they would stay trapped in the ice for like three years in the 1800s without any modern technology at all. And they would survive and they would come home. Do you, can you wrap your head around how they managed to do that? I can't. But they did. It happened. In fact, can you, can you understand really? I mean, you could read books about it, but can you really understand how a ship's captain in, let's say, 1650 would have been able to leave a port in, in Spain and sail thousands of miles across an ocean they've never seen before, they've never been across, and land on some little speck of, of, of an island somewhere 2,500 miles away in the middle of this vast blue ocean. And that they were able to do this with no technology of any kind, no GPS, no satellite, nothing. They had their own eyes and a compass. Can you understand how they do I mean, I, could you ever do that? 
Can you wrap your mind around that? I can't. Every time I read books like this, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm like, how could you, I don't know, how, how is this possible? How is it possible to do? And yet they did it. Because people, because when you, when, when you have a culture that is driven to explore and driven by so many things, by, this, by, by, by curiosity, by competition, by, uh, by uh, personal pride, by patriotism, by uh, faith, you know, like all these things. And, and, and when you have all of that and you put it inside a brilliant mind um, and, 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 you, and, and a great man, and you have a bunch of those kinds of men in a culture, then you can do unbelievable things. And, and if we had had enough of that from the moon landing until now, we would already be on Mars. Like we would already be on a moon in Jupiter, a moon of Jupiter. I mean, we, we, would, we would, who knows, maybe we'd be outside the solar system by now. Because um, that is what's possible. And we've lost that. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. All right. Valentine's Day is coming up fast, and Jeremy's has the perfect gifts to surprise your better half. Whether you're shopping for him or her, uh, Jeremy's has a bundle they will love. From delicious chocolate to smooth razors to the iconic leftist tears tumbler to celebrate, Jeremy's is offering a deal you will love. Get a 20% discount on all Valentine's Day bundles. That's right, 20% off, but you have to act fast because this offer is only here for a limited time. Go to jeremysracers.com right now. Order your Valentine's Day bundle. Before they're gone, Jeremy's Valentine's Day sale, the best way to treat your Valentine and yourself. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So for today's daily cancellation, I'm going to have to once again resume my role as the dad of the internet. That is my true calling after all. My vocation is to deliver dad lectures to people on the internet who apparently never received any growing up. So we begin with an article in fortune.com with this headline. Gen Z and millennial worker productivity is being crushed by bosses who don't understand them, top economic university research says. Now, this is not a surprising headline. As we know, the favorite pastime of Gen Z and millennials is to complain about people not understanding them. You don't understand us, is like the whiny mantra of our two generations combined. It's the banner we march under. We're convinced that no one in history can relate to our struggles or understand our pain. No one's ever had it harder than us, we tell ourselves. That appears to be the general thesis of this Fortune article. It begins, uh, quote, starting a career has increasingly felt like a rite of passage for Gen Z and millennial workers struggling to adapt to the working week and stand out to their new bosses. Now let's pause and reflect just for a moment. Starting a career has increasingly felt like a rite of passage for Gen Z and millennial workers. This is like saying Eating food has increasingly felt like a necessary step to avoid starvation for Gen Z and millennials. Younger generations have a narcissistic tendency to believe that everything they're experiencing is somehow unprecedented and unique. But now it's really getting out of hand. I mean, starting a career has been a rite of passage for every generation since the dawn of the industrial age. Let's just clarify that from the beginning. Continuing. But it looks like those bosses aren't doing much in return to help their young staffers adjust to corporate life, and it could be having major effects on their company's output. Research by the London School of Economics and uh, Protivity found that uh, friction in the workplace was causing a worrying worrying productivity chasm between bosses and their employees, and it was by far the worst for Gen Z and millennial workers. The survey of nearly 1,500 UK and US office workers found that a quarter of the employees self-reported low productivity in the workplace. More than a third of Gen Z employees reported low productivity, while 30% of millennials described themselves as unproductive. Employees with managers who are more than 12 years their senior 
the average uh, age gap between bosses and workers, are 1.5 times as likely to report low levels of productivity and nearly three times as likely to report unsatisfied, being unsatisfied in their job. Millennial and Gen Z workers thought that their abilities in active listening, time management, and judgment and decision-making needed to be honed to improve their productivity. A key obstacle, though, appears to be getting that point across to their older managers. Okay, let me, um, let me just give a little unsolicited career advice here. If you have had trouble communicating to your boss that you struggle with listening, time management, and decision-making, that's good. It's good that you have not successfully communicated that problem yet. Stop trying to communicate it. Keep that to yourself. And that's because your boss is not interested in helping you develop the basic qualities of a functional adult. If you don't have those qualities, your boss's solution will be to fire you. So if he hasn't noticed yet that you can't function as an adult, then don't tell him. Like, he'll figure it out, but, you know... Sometimes in these places, it takes a while. So just, just ride the wave, at least. Now look around your office. Do you see little chairs at little tables with uh, glue sticks and crayons? Do you see cubbies where people are keeping their lunch boxes? Do you see an alphabet rug in the middle of the room where you sit and listen to somebody read Dr. Seuss books? Probably not. And that's because your place of employment is not a kindergarten classroom. You are not there to learn how to listen and pay attention. You are expected to already have those fundamental skills. And if you don't, then you are wildly unqualified for all jobs in existence. You are a broken person and your manager cannot be expected to fix you. That's not in his job description. The article continues in that vein and ends this way. According to research by Vitality, employees under the age of 30 were losing 60 productivity days a year uh, largely due to issues with their mental health. Younger workers were more likely to suffer depression, to report significant financial concerns, and to be dissatisfied with their jobs, the health insurance group found. The findings also point to a trend of younger workers losing motivation for a career as an increasingly unequal economy removes their incentives to succeed in the workplace. In a viral video responding to criticism of Gen Zers by 54-year-old comedian Rick Mercer, TikToker Robbie Scott laid out exactly why Gen Zers might be putting in less work than their parents did. Now, there's plenty to say about what I just read, but first, let's watch this video from TikToker Robbie Scott. This went viral recently. It has millions of views, thousands of comments from Gen Zers and millennials shouting amen. Uh, it's really resonated with the younger generations, and let's uh, listen to it. I hate to sound like that person crapping on a younger generation, but she's literally saying, what's it like to do something that the vast majority of people in North America have done for their entire lives. We need to stop expecting the same damn people who bought a four-bedroom home and a brand-new Cadillac convertible off of a $30,000 a year salary working at Perkins to understand what it's like to be working 40-plus hours a week with a master's degree and still not being able to afford a 400-square-foot studio apartment in bum Iowa, okay? I don't care if you're a boomer, if you're Gen X, if you're dead in the ground, I don't give a Nobody likes to work 40 plus hours a week. No one likes it, okay? If that were true, we wouldn't have so many of you trying to become billionaires so that you can one day pay people to do that work for you so you don't have to do it. We're not crying. We're not getting angry and whiny and entitled because we can't work nine to fives. Yes, we can. We do it every day, which is we're holding up our end of the deal, right? We're staying in school, okay? We're going to college, okay? We've been working since we were 15, 16 years old. We've built a huge line of credible references, doing everything that y'all told us to do so that we can what? Still be living at our parents in our late 20s? <laughs> Millennials and Gen Z are working more than any other generation ever has. It's a fact. We are more educated than any other generation. Also a fact. 
we are also making considerably and disproportionately much less than any other generation has. Also a fact. And that is kinda I know people in their mid-30s who have been working for 20 years. That's like 70% of their waking life. They have been working and they still cannot afford to purchase their first home. And I don't live in New York or LA. I live in Minnesota. Minnesota. That is why some of us are crying. That's why some of us are angry because this is, this is annoying. We're holding up our end of the deal and someone on the other side is not holding up their end. And it's annoying, okay? If boomers and Gen X had experienced what it's like to work as much as they did and get nothing in return, they would be able to sit across from us and go, oh my God, I feel you. This is so and you know what? Some of you are capable of cultivating empathy and I appreciate you. But those of you who have nothing to say but judgments and calling us entitled, you because you don't get it. Okay, well, Robbie, I'm a millennial. I'm not that much older than you. And I will say, yes, you are entitled and spoiled and lazy. And you need to stop crying like a little pathetic baby. Now, let's just run through a few points here. Boomers were not buying Cadillac convertibles and four-bedroom homes off a $30,000 a year salary, okay? If you'd gone to Perkins in the 1980s, you're not going to find a bunch of Cadillac convertibles that the waitresses are driving. That's a fantasy you've made up to justify your feelings of persecution. And if you cannot afford a studio apartment in Iowa on a 40-plus-hour-a-week job with a master's degree, then, then, then you need to find a new career in a hurry. I mean, what's your salary? Negative $20,000 a year? Are you getting charged money to work your job? You should definitely be able to afford a studio apartment in Iowa or in many other places, even in this economy. Like, is everybody in the world homeless? If that, you can't afford, 40 hours a week, you cannot afford a studio apartment. That means everyone's homeless. Like, every, almost everyone in the world is homeless now, I guess, apparently. And you go to Iowa, everyone there is homeless. The entire, the entire state. Look, I know things can be tough, but there's no need to wildly exaggerate. It's true that boomers had an easier time affording housing. It's also happens to be true that boomers, on average, were buying much smaller homes and fitting more people into them. These days, the average home size has gone up while the has gone up while the average household size has gone down. So you've got fewer people who are looking for more house. Okay. Now, when I was a kid, we lived in a two thousand square foot single family home. I had eight people in my family sharing that home. Now, the average family size today is 2.5 people, and the average house size is 2,500 square feet. So people want bigger houses for fewer people, and they also want to fill their houses with more expensive stuff. Now, that doesn't entirely negate or explain away the struggles people have finding housing these days. I'm not denying that, but it does add a little bit of necessary context. The boomers were not getting jobs as waiters at Denny's and then going out and buying castles with drawbridges and moats and a squadron of guards in shining armor, okay? So just calm down a little bit with the hyperbole. Are millennials and Gen Z more educated than any other generation in history, as Robbie says? No, definitely not, not uh, Robbie. Millennials and Gen Z, on average, have spent more time in formal educational facilities and have earned more fancy pieces of paper and have spent more money acquiring them, yes, but are they actually more educated? To be educated is to be knowledgeable, and there is very little evidence that young adults today are more knowledgeable than previous generations. In fact, all evidence points to the contrary. That's because the education you acquired was mostly useless, and in many cases, it made you dumber than you were going in. And if you're mad about that, you should be. You got scammed. You got worked. You had your pockets picked. You got, I mean, you got taken for a ride. But, you know, I noticed these self-pitying Gen Z rants are rarely directed at the university system which is the system that scammed you and gave you the worthless education that they charge you six figures for. 
Take it up with them. Why are you yelling at them? And these rants also rarely end with what should be the obvious conclusion that people need to stop surrendering their money and their minds and their financial futures to these institutions that will do nothing but squander and destroy all of it. Now, it is true that millennials, um, or rather, is it true, as he says next, that millennials and Gen Z are working more than any other generation? Well, this case that millennials and Gen Z are working more than anyone seems to rest on the belief that baby boomers were the first generation of humans to ever live on Earth. Robbie seems to be laboring under the impression that the human species sprouted suddenly out of the ground like dandelions about 75 years ago. Now, it, it, it still almost certainly wouldn't be true that young adults today are working more or working harder than baby boomers did at the same age. You know, that, that even that is probably not true, but at least there you might have a case. The problem is that the baby boomers are one generation. There have been thousands of generations of humans on the planet. Did you not learn that when you were getting your master's degree? At best, at best, you might have it harder. Might. And you might be expected to work harder. Might, in certain respects, than one other generation of humans. One. Beyond them, you have no case, Robbie. Now, do you really think you have a more difficult and laborious life than people who lived in, say, 1910? The generation that literally built this country with their bare hands? Are you working more than them? What about a guy your age who lived in 1870? Or 1720? Or the 1690s? Go back and back and back, Robbie. Would you trade places with any of them? Do you think you're working more, working harder, and striving more to get less than any of them were? Now, you can't tell me it was a long time ago. It doesn't count. You just said millennials and Gen Z are working more than any other generation ever has, which means you're claiming that you are working more than the hundreds of human generations who grew up in agricultural societies, had to work hard labor from sunup to sunup down to sundown every day, seven days a week, and then come back to a two-bedroom cottage shared by 10 people and repeat that every day forever until their bodies broke down and they died at the age of 52. Do you really think you work more or harder than them? No, not even close. So when you say that you work more than any other generation, what you mean is that you think you might be working more than some people in one generation. Might be, maybe. But compared to literally the whole entire rest of human history, you are living in absolute luxury. I mean, another way of putting this is that your generation has it easier and lives in more comfort and luxury than all other generations of humans that have ever lived with the possible exception of one. That's what you're really saying. But when you phrase it like that, it's kind of hard to keep the pity train going, isn't it? Now, does that mean that your own struggles aren't real? Does that mean that you are you're not experiencing any hardships at all? Does that mean that you have no legitimate gripes? No. I mean, you have your struggles and your hardships and your gripes. Even if your wealth and comfort basically makes you an Egyptian pharaoh compared to the vast majority of humans who have ever lived, Still, you know, you have your own hurdles. Some of them are relatively significant. Okay, fine. It's been acknowledged. Your complaints have been officially registered. I will write it on a slip of paper, and I will put it in the cosmic suggestion box. Here are the things that Robbie doesn't like about reality right now. He wishes these were different. Got it noted. Now what? Because no matter how legitimate your complaints might be, you still have to live your life. That's the thing that you people miss. 
The other option is to stand paralyzed, waiting for the road to smooth out ahead of you. But it never will. You keep saying, and I hear this a lot, we've held up our end of the deal. What deal? What deal do you think was made with you? Who did you make this deal with? Okay, life is not a giant Dave and Buster's prize counter where you just cash in your tickets and get a little trinket from the assigned bin. Well, I've got this many tickets, and so I should get that. That's the deal. It's not a simple exchange like that. Life is toil. Life is work. Life is a constant battle. Okay, life is climbing down into a pit and grabbing happiness and success from the mud and holding onto it with your teeth and climbing back out of the pit covered in mud and with calluses on your hands. That's what it is. Now, I wish it was as simple as just doing a few things on a checklist. Go to college, get a degree, get a job. And then, and then, and then joy and fulfillment just descends out of the clouds right into your arms. I wish it worked that way. I really do. But it doesn't. It never has. It never will. If you want success, you're going to have to scratch and claw and fight and crawl and grab it and hold on. As everyone else has had to do. There is no other way. There has never been any other way for almost anyone except the absolute most privileged few, which you are not, and neither am I. Oh, well. Now, it's okay to be disappointed or frustrated by certain aspects of reality, but if you're waiting for someone to come along and magically rescue you from it, or change your reality for you, or fix whatever you think is broken in your world, you'll be waiting forever and you will die before it happens. You'll have to change it and fix it yourself. But you're never going to do that if you're too busy crying that it hasn't already been done. Okay, that's life. This is life. It is how it works. Welcome to it. It will never work any other way. You don't like it. You don't have to like it. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. That's the part you seem to miss. And that is why you are today, I'm afraid to say, canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed.